One more time. Welcome in, everybody, to the channel, and I'm so glad that you're here for Wednesday night, 7.30, where we are going verse by verse through First and Second Kings in our Kings of Compromise study. It is part 15, and I am your humble host here on the channel. My name is Tim, and if you would hit that subscribe button, it'd be very, very much appreciated. Wednesday night through the Bible, Tuesday night through culture. So if you were here with us last night, and we talked about the Grammys and the crazy of our culture, I'm glad you were there. But even last night, there's a little bit more crazy out of Washington, D.C. And we saw it, right? We saw, again, another president making another speech about all the promises that he is going to fulfill for us. And most likely, no matter what side of the aisle you are on, you know that we are headed for disappointment because, because there is no true king outside of King Jesus. And we're going to look at how do we apply this record in First Kings of unrighteous, wicked, evil kings to our lives. What does that have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. And we're going to talk about that because every now and then in the southern kingdom of Israel, we call that kingdom Judah, a righteous king, a righteous king arrives on the scene and changes the game. And we're going to look at how that happens and why that happens and how we can make that happen in our own lives. So let's get into a Kings of Compromise part 15 deep dive Bible study right after this prayer. Father, open our ears and our hearts and our minds. Speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is your king like David? That is the real question. That's the conversation we're going to have. Is your king like David? Now, I know that some of you are going to say, well, we're Americans. We don't have a king. Well, you do have a king. The king is the person who is in charge. It's not the president, of course, you know, the, the president, politically speaking, okay, is, is a figurehead in many respects. He really doesn't have legislative abilities. He doesn't write the laws. He executes the laws. He makes sure that they get followed. He's supposed to hold us accountable to the laws. Um, so let's set that aside. The king is the one who rules and everybody has a king. Everybody's following someone. Everyone is letting someone, something, some value lead them. The question again is, is your king like David? First Kings chapter 15 is asking us that question. And I want to take a look at a couple of graphs here for you. Pardon me for maybe this boring you, especially if you're listening right now, you're going to get bored because you're not going to see the graphs, but it's important that we just show you a couple of things. I want to look at the first list here on the screen. And I'm showing for those of you who are listening only kings of Israel to the northern kingdom on the left, starting with Jeroboam, you know, Jeroboam the first, and then going all the way down to Hosea, down way down there on the bottom, 19 kings in all. Then on the right, I have 20 kings listed, the kings of Judah to the south. Remember I said, and we've talked about this now for several weeks, is Israel is divided. It's a divided kingdom now. You got the north, you got the south. The south is Judah and maybe parts of Benjamin, and the north is the other 10 tribes, other 11 tribes, okay? The northern tribe, and we see it right here with their kings, there is not a single king that is obedient to God. Every single king is disobedient. The northern king kingdom is a picture for us of compromised Christianity, cultural Christianity, Christianity in name only. That's really what 
Israel to the north represents. Israel in name only. They didn't have a heart for God. They didn't, they didn't turn to God. They never did. In spite of the prophets, in spite of all the, all the people God sent to them to rebuke them and bring them back to himself, they did not repent. And we're going to get to that next time on the deep dive. But you've got Israel to the north, a picture of compromised Christianity, cultural Christianity, Christianity in name only. Then to the south, you've got this minority group of Israelites, the Judeans, the Judeans, if you will, in the southern kingdom of Judah. And they've got 20 kings listed there. And you'll see, count the number of disobedient kings. And there are some listed there, particularly horrible, completely horrible. You know, (laughs) these other kings here. Eight out of 20 are righteous, good kings. And 12 out of 20 are disobedient or particularly horrible kings. Yikes. Like this is the problem (laughs) that we all face. We all face a struggle with who leads us. It's hard to find good mentors, is it not? It's hard to find good influences. When you're a parent, you want good influences for your kids, and it's a struggle. Look, I, I was just reading some articles today on, on YouTube kids. My, my, my youngest son, Jake, the only one that really grew up with an iPad in his hand in my home, I have two older kids, but Jake has had an iPad, and we've allowed him to use it periodically during the day, YouTube kids is, is grooming our children. There's evidence now of that. And you got to watch out what you let them watch. It's, it's so hard. You have to be diligent. You have to be vigilant to protect your kids and give them good mentors, good figures to look up to and lead them. And hopefully as parents, we are those, right? When you get into your teens, come on, it's so hard to have good influences in your life. There's always going to be somebody trying to get you to smoke something, inhale something, drink something, chew something, eat something, or sleep with someone that is going to destroy your life. And then when you're later on in life, it's so hard to find someone to marry who, is, who has a heart for God. And, and then when you get into your profession, it's so hard to find a good lead or mentor who can guide you into principles that lead to prosperity and peace, right? This is Israel's problem. It's our problem. Because the world is going to offer you far more contaminant influences, contaminating influences, than godly influences. And Israel and Judah are a case study for that. Here's the first thing I want to say regarding the kings of the north is that cultural Christians are not it. If you're looking for mentors, cultural Christians won't do it. And the Christians in name on the Christians who say, I believe in Christ, but I'm going to live how I want. You do not want those people leading you. And and Israel is going to show you why. And even in the minority group of of true Christians, there's going to be some bad influences. Even in the church, a lot of people give up on the church because they say, well, the church hurt me or I had this experience with the church or these people are bad and they say they're Christians, but they act a different way. And I get it. Even in the Southern kingdom, that was the case too. There was kings of Israel that were not good people, kings of Judah that were not good people. But they're all pointing us to the reality that we do need someone, right? That's the point. We need someone to influence us. And so now as we start to turn the page from the early years of the divided kingdom into the trajectories, the, 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 the uh, discordant, if you will, trajectories of both the south and the, and the north, what we're going to see is there's going to be a spiritual deterioration that's consistent in the north king, or northern kingdom. And then in the southern kingdom, there's going to be small little blips of revival. That brings me to the, my second chart here. Again, I'm sorry for those of you who are listening. You can check it out at youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live and you can look at this content on your smartphone. 
But I've got a chart here that I, I, I found on, online about the kings, the divided kingdoms and all the kings. And you have the list there and it goes from left to right, starting with David, then Solomon, then Rehoboam, and Jeroboam, and it goes on. Now look at this blue line on the bottom where it kind of has a wavy kind of figure to it. So you have, if you count the waves upward, you have one at Asa, you have one at Joash, you have one at Uzziah, you have one at Ahaz and Hezekiah, really uh, Hezekiah, and you have one at Josiah. Five revivals, five spiritual awakenings, if you will, in the southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, not a single one. There, there's just a slow, steady decline into apostasy and eventually into the hands of the Assyrians to the north. So every, every now and then, God sends a revival to his kingdom in the south because of his promises to David. Now, here's something that we can parallel with right now, right off the bat. Looking at the trajectory of Christian history, the same can be said. Christian history is a, a mix of good and bad. There were stagnant times in the church. There were healthy times in the church. There were, there were spiritually dead times in the church. There were spiritually alive times in the church. You can even go back as far as 100 years to the charismatic revival, 100 years before that, the second great awakening, 100 years before that, the first great awakening in America, 100 years before that, the reformation in England and in Germany, 100 years before that, you know, you have the writing, the, 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 uh, William Tyndale and John Wycliffe getting the Bible into the hands of the common man. And I don't know beyond that, but you have these blips, if you will, of spiritual awakening. And I would like to say on a microcosmic level in your own life in church history, that is the case as well. Raise your hand if you've ever had an, if you've ever experienced a personal revival. Okay. You can do that right now in the comments below or to the right. Raise your hand if you've ever had a personal revival. You, you start out in faith and you know how it goes. We just kind of get a little bit lackadaisical. And we, before we know it, we go months without praying maybe, or we go a year without going to church, heaven forbid, but, or, or we just start to wane in our spiritual life. And even pastors experience this. Of course, we're always at church because we're paid to be there, but we will have ups and downs in our spiritual life. So this is a picture for us, friends, and this is a picture for you. And, and, and look, maybe you're on the downward trajectory. Can I offer you some hope right off the bat for the deep dive tonight? It's not the end. God could send you an Asa. God could send you a Hezekiah. God could send you a jo Josiah and revive your life. And my prayer is that that happens sooner rather than later because you're always going to deal with the consequences of sin from your dark days. And, and better to have a revival now than to live in sin a lot further and then experience more and more tragedy as a result, personal tragedy, uh, 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 social tragedy, relational tragedy. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? You, you understand what I'm saying? The question that you have to measure yourself by right now, right where you are, is whoever you're following, the question is, are they like David? Are they leading you toward God or are they leading you away from God? And in his mercy... And I believe this, God will not give up on his own. He will always send a revival to you. And that is the picture for us here in the kingdom of Judah to the south as we talk about a guy named Asa. One last thing on the screen, sorry for all those of you who are listening, but this is another chart of the kings of Israel um, vertically now. And you're gonna see something here. And the reason why I put this up on the screen is because I wanna point out the king on the third of the list of the north of the southern kingdom. This is Asa, who we're gonna talk about today in, in a large part of this content. His story in the king in first Kings goes from first Kings 15, nine to uh, 24. And he reigns for 41 years. And remember I said the Kings on the right. Now those are the Northern kingdom Kings, 19 Kings and all uh, the, the, the reign of Asa is 41 years. And he takes to the throne in the third year 
or the end of, sorry, let me just put this up so I can remember. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, he takes to the throne. So the 20th year of Jeroboam in the north, Asa becomes king in the south. Okay, does that make sense? I hope that's clear if you're just listening. It's very clear on the screen, but just let me share with you something. So Jeroboam in the north, wicked king. Um, He has a son, Nadab. Nadab is killed. Basha, Elah, Zimri, Tibni, Omri. Ahab. That's the list of the kings from Jeroboam to Ahab, right? And Asa is on the throne of the southern kingdom for 41 years. And his kingdom, his reign stretches across the reigns or parts of reigns of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight kings in the north. And the point here is very simple. It is simply saying that righteousness pays righteous living, righteous worship, righteous mentorship pays great dividends. It, it assists you in longevity and prosperity. See, you, you have this one King staying strong throughout the reign of all these evil Kings. And it is as if God is saying, trust me, it will pay off. It might not look like it, but it will pay off. Now, here's the king. Asa is a king like David. He's faithful to the Lord for much of his reign. Not all of it, for much of his reign, though. He is a, he's, he's faithful to the king, um, to, 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 to the Lord, just like David. And the other thing about this story, and I'm, again, I'm just in the contextual part of this talk, is for the rest of 1 Kings, we're only going to hear about the northern kingdom right down through Ahab's reign. So where first Kings opens up with Solomon and Solomon's righteous living and Solomon's building and Solomon's temple inauguration, all those kind of things. And then the division of the kingdom between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And now you have the King Asa from, from here on out, mostly outside of Asa, we're just going to hear about evil Kings from now until the end of first Kings. But before we do that, let's take a look at the things that Asa did that show us a King who is like likened unto David. And with all that in mind now, it's time to go through the text. All right, for part two, if you will, of this, of this podcast. First Kings chapter 15, uh, verse nine. It says this, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. Remember, Abishalom is another name for Absalom. Now there on the screen is, I know I said I would do no more of this, but it's important that we do this. So it's clarity is a family tree. You have Rehoboam, who is the grandfather, by the way, of Asa. Okay. This is the king we're talking about today. Asa, his grandfather's name is Rehoboam, his mother's name. Do you see it there? Are you, you should be picking up on something really gross right now. <laughs> his mother's name is Maaka. Maaka was the mother of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Okay, you should be grossed out right now. <laughs> so gross, but this is exactly what happened. Maka, his grandmother, had sex with his father and he was born. Now, the reason why I press in on that is not to gross you out, even though the Bible's full of gross things like this, <laughs> especially in the Old Testament. The reason why I share this with you is because it is a symbol of how he should not 
have lived a righteous life. He was born through an incestuous relationship. The, the first Freudian, if you will, of the Bible <laughs> is Asa's father, who had a Oedipal complex with his mother and had sex with his mother and produced a son. And what I'm trying to say is Asa is the unlikely righteous king. And why I tell you that is because your righteousness does not depend on your father's righteousness or your grandmother's righteousness. Your righteousness depends on Jesus. That is what we are meant to see here. The only thing that could cause Asa to be a righteous king, a reformer uh, with a heart for David has to be God. God supernaturally intervened, of course, with mentors, I'm sure, and influences in his life. And who knows who was in the court at the time when he was being raised and someone who was a righteous follower of Yahweh was leading Asa spiritually. But whatever that case is, God put them in the places of Asa's life that, they, that Asa needed them so that he would follow the Lord like David did and not follow the sinful wickedness of his father. And he's now the first of five revivals, five historical revivals in the southern kingdom of Judah that keep rescuing God's people from absolute apostasy and abomination. Uh, so, okay, a couple contextual, more contextual facts. This is the first of those five reformations, spiritual reformations in the life of the southern kingdom of Judah. Number two, this is 20 years after, uh, this is after 20 years of apostasy. So, so for 20 years, Judah has not been worshiping the Lord. Asa shows up on the scene. It's, and it's gotten so bad that we've got incestuous relationships between the queen mother and the, and the son, the king's son, right? So you've got 20 years of apostasy. Then you have this first of five great awakenings. And Asa's reforms begin by the grace of God. And this is so important for you. This is how you apply this right now is you say, okay, all that I am as a follower of Christ is, is the result of God's grace. When I should have gone off the deep end, sorry to reference last night's show, but you know, what I, you know what I mean by that. When my life should have fallen apart, God reached out and rescued me and pulled me back. He gave me an Asa moment. He pulled me back. Amen. Just let me know in this comments below or to the side if that's you, if you've ever been like that, if you can tell, if you can say it publicly and you should say it proudly, who I am, I should not be here. I should be stuck in some stupid, terrible condition, but God and his grace saved me from myself. Even after I was saved, even after I was born again, God reached out and saved me from myself again and again and again. And that is what we're going to learn from Asa. So giving you the full picture, you've got Maka who is his grandmother sleeping with his father and producing Asa. And that is who he is. Let's go on. Verse 11. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as David, his father had done. So there we go. There's the descriptor that we're going to be seeing on a regular basis with the reformers, the spiritual reformers in Israel is they lived like David. Why is that important? Because David is a picture of Christ and our influences and our leaders will either be people who have a heart for God, like David did, like Christ has a heart to do the Father's will completely and perfectly, or they will not. And, and there is no middle ground. So he follows the Lord as David does. What does he do? Verse 12, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. First thing he does, he says, look, we're getting rid of this stuff. We are cleaning house. And this is a picture of repentance. Repentance always cuts things away. 
It always removes the obstacles, the impediments to pure faith. Personal revival is when you start to get rid of some things that became idols in your life. You put away practices, you put away habits, you cut things out of your life that have become idolatrous to you. I have a, I have a friend in the church who talks about the fact that one, one time, and he was a very big wine connoisseur, and he had a wine cellar, and the Lord challenged him on it in prayer. And the Lord's word to him was put a lock on it, and he put a lock on the door, and then he got rid of the whole thing. Like, get rid of it. That became, not that wine is evil, but for him that became a consuming passion that was leading him down the wrong path. Righteousness eliminates the doorways to wickedness or the doorways. And, and, and it doesn't have to be like, wickedness is not always right at the door. It's down the hall, right? But there's doors that are open that we have to shut just like Asa does here. So he removes, he goes into the business of removing. Look at verse 13. He also removed Maaka, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. This guy's not kidding around. This, these are dramatic steps of reform. This is lacking in a lot of churches. We do not talk about these things, but, but cut these things out. We could go to Acts chapter 18 where, where God brings about a revival in the city of Ephesus. And the scripture says that they brought their sorcery books and they burned them and then someone actually tallied the amount of money that those books cost and and it shares the amount there in Acts chapter 18 but there was a revival that produced an elimination of idolatry and and Asa notice that he actually takes down his own mother's idol sometimes God's spiritual revival will cause friction between those that we love and those that we are related to and that is just part and parcel with when the Lord works on your life. So he abolishes idolatry. He removes his mother from her position because she was an idolater herself. And then notice what it says here in uh, verse 14, just a little notation, but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. How can those two things go together? Okay, first off, they go together like this. Uh, Asa is following the Lord, but... Like every Christian, there are still some things that he just has not got right. And I would like to give some peace to some people, albeit I don't want you to be okay with it. God ultimately knows that there's going to be some resident sin in us until we die. And it's terrible, but he's going to have the grace to cover that. Not meaning that we shouldn't wrestle against it and cast it off and seek freedom from it. But Asa is a picture of, he is following the Lord, but he didn't go a thousand, he didn't go a hundred percent. He, he, he still had some high places. Now these high places, by the way, if you read the Chronicles account, these high places were high places that worshiped Yahweh, not the pagan gods of the nations around them. So these are different high places. There's two kinds of high places. There was pagan high places that he absolutely removed, but then there was the Yahweh high places. These were geographical places of worship to Yahweh, places to worship Yahweh that were not in Jerusalem at the temple where God only wanted worship to, to happen and, and, and occur. And the reason for that is because God says, look, there's only one way to come to me. And ultimately Jesus fulfills that in coming as the true and final temple of God. So, so what this is, these high places are little pictures of Christians who kind of, they, they know the Lord, they're born again. I don't doubt their salvation, but there's still that twinge of Christianity on my terms. Like I want to live in this area for Christ the way I want to live. 
Okay, look, some of you don't get this. Some of you struggle with this. No one is perfect. No one, not you, not me. We're always going to be wrestling with sin until the day we die. That is why Paul says um, in Romans chapter seven, who will rescue me from this body of death? He, an apostle, was still wrestling with the flesh and you will too. So cut yourself some slack because if you don't, you will have no slack for other people. You have no kindness and no compassion for other people. And understand it's all by the grace of God. Okay, let's move on. Um, just another point again about this being like David. Just a reminder here, let me put it on the screen, is that verse one of chapter 15 talks about uh, his father Abijam. He reigned before Asa and he walked in all the sins of his father before him. And, and, and so Abijam walks as Rehoboam, but Asa Okay, Rehoboam's grandson and Abijam's son walks in the ways of David. And the point that I'm making here is, again, just to make sure you're clear, your, your, virtues, your character, your development, your righteousness never depends on where you came from. It depends on Christ. And for some of you, you don't come from Christian families. That's the best news you could hear because ultimately God will purify you through his precious blood's son and not through your own righteousness or the righteousness of your father. Amen, amen. God has no grandchildren, is the old layman's terms there. Okay, now, the scripture tells us that in Second Chronicles, we get a little bit more of a picture, a little bit more behind-the-scenes picture of Asa's spiritual reformation. And I want to put it up on the screen, because this is first. This is Second Chronicles 15. And, and we're going to talk about the difference between the First and Second Kings account of Israel's history and First and Second Chronicles account of Israel's history, and why they are different and why they accentuate different actions or histories and why they leave some stuff out and why they put some stuff in. And there's a reason, and we'll get to that for a second, but let me just put this up here on the screen. Second Chronicles 15, two, it says this, and he, Azariah the prophet, went out to meet Asa and said to him, hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now look at verse three. For a long time, for a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in for great disturbance afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. What's happening here? What's happening here is we're going to learn and we are learning presently that God will use the trouble in, law, in our lives, in, even in our society, to awaken his people, to bring, him back, to bring them back to himself. It says, there was no peace to him who went out or came in. The, there was disturbances afflicting them. And God himself troubled them with every sort of distress. So that what? So that they would repent. Christian, understand that this absolutely will happen to you. You might not like it. You might think it's not fair. It is absolutely fair. It is, I'm sorry, it's not fair. It's actually, it's actually kindness of God to trouble your life to wake you up back to himself. And that is really where I, Ace's reforms, I think, began. That was the impetus behind them. Like, okay, if, we, if we're troubled on every side as we are, uh, there has to be a change of heart in us as a kingdom. And that is Ace's uh, response. And he does, he, he reforms the nation. However, and we're going to find this out with every king of Judah, from here on out, even the good kings, Asa does not do so completely. He is not 
the true king. And every king from here on out is not the true king until Jesus. So let's take a look at where things kind of turn poorly for Asa in verse 16. It says this, and there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, and all their, all their days. Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to King Asa of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that were left in the treasury, treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you a present of silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. What's happening here? What's happening? Asa, who, is just, who has been told by the prophet, look. Oh, and by the way, he's also already won a couple of battles, a couple of key battles for Israel, for Judah. Now he's got trouble with the king to the north, Baasha. And Baasha is troubling and building up a siege work against Asa. And, I, and, and he's doing so in Ramah. And Ramah is only five miles north of Jerusalem. So this is very close. He is encroaching slowly into the north, southern kingdom. And Asa does something some, completely foolish here. He does something completely fleshly. He makes a covenant with Baasha's uh, partner, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, in order to turn the king of Syria against Baasha. Now, Syria is to the north of the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah to the south. So what he does is he sends the treasuries of the Lord. He sends the money that he had brought into the house of the Lord that he had probably prospered because it got because he prospered through obedience to the Lord. He sends that to a pagan king and makes a covenant. The covenant term is huge in the Old Testament. He makes an agreement, a covenant with a pagan king to disturb the nation to the north, Israel to the north, so that Israel will abandon their siege work project against the southern kingdom of Judah and Asa will get peace. And what Asa is doing is what so many of us do. It's what Paul talks about in Galatians. We start out with the spirit and then we turn to the flesh. Galatians chapter three is um, where we can go here to unpack this because the Galatian problem in the New Testament is that the Galatians had been given the gospel of grace. They came to Christ and God worked miracles among them and did signs and wonders and saved them and transformed their lives. And then some people from the Jewish sects of Jerusalem, the very strong pharisaical very strong law-oriented sects of Israel came into the Galatian churches and started to disturb their faith and bring them back to the works of the flesh for salvation, most notably circumcision and the laws of Moses and the uh, Passover feasts and the new moon festivals and all those things. And they came and they said, look, if you're going to be saved, okay, Christ, yes, this is important, but you've also got to obey all the law of Moses. And so what they did, and this is how Paul describes it, look here in Galatians chapter three, oh, foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, uh, it was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, the, the Galatians were saying, we want to grow. So maybe we need to grow by going back to the old ways. And everybody's making that kind of, everybody's being, everybody's wrestling with that kind of question in their Christian life, whether it be with the flesh or with works righteousness. Everyone is tempted to go in one of two ways. What's going to make me happy and prosperous and successful and glad? 
and Jesus has saved me, but maybe now I need to leverage some of that old sin because life is boring and, you know, that's the way to find love or that's the way to build a company or that's a way to get ahead in life. And we start to, we start to break God's law in that way. Or we go to the religious side and we say, well, let me turn on my spirituality jets. Let me turn on my religious performance jets and let me surge ahead of the crowd so that God will bless me and, and, and help me and protect me. And this is what Asa did. He, he went to the fleshly side. He went to the unrighteousness side because he's bribing a pagan king to secure his kingdom. This is a man who should have known that God provides peace but he forfeit, forfeits that in the end of his life. And, and this is going to be a constant refrain, even with the good kings of Israel, as I said before, is that they start great, but none of them finish well. None of them finish well. And that is case in point here with Asa. Unfortunately, it works. So verse 20, it says this. Uh, and Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Ijon, Dan, Abelbeth, Maaka, and all Chinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard it, he stopped building Ramah and he lived in Terza. Then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah. None was exempt and they carried away the stones of Ramah and his timber with which Baasha had been building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mezpah. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might, and all he did, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet, and Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. So several times, okay, let's just talk about this. Several times, again, he's referencing that he is the son of David. David was his father. So is your king like David? But, but here's the problem. Here's the biggest issue that we have here. The worst thing that could happen to you is your compromise with paganism, your compromise with the flesh works. And that's what happens for Asa. And notice that he's diseased in his feet. And his walk is stymied. His walk is stifled because of his compromise. This is a picture, is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. If we compromise with the flesh and it succeeds, our walk is compromised. And people see us and we can't get as far as we need to go in life. We can't walk the way that we should. Now, First Kings is showing us the kind of condensed Reader's Digest version of Ace's life. Again, like I said, Second Chronicles gives us a lot more details, and I'm going to talk about why the details are different in Second Chronicles in just a moment. But let me just show you what Scripture shows about Ace's warning. Asa was warned as he does this by the prophet of God. This is in Second Chronicles 16.7. It says this, at that time, Hanani, Hananini, sorry, Hananini, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army and with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Remember, I talked about those two early victories that he had in his life. Verse nine, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. And from now on, you will have wars. There's a lot of people like Asa. They're conflicted Christians because they're constantly making compromise with the flesh. They're either making compromises with the flesh in, again, religious performance. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian. I did all these things. So God should bless me. And that, that justifies me. That makes me a good person. That makes me a righteous man. Or they're compromising with the flesh and they're making 
pagan deals with pagan people and following pagan practices and, and, and both ways draw us away from our true king who keeps us rooted in him, who keeps us toward, aimed toward God. And I, and I love the warning of the prophet here in verse 9. Uh, like this, this is who God is looking for. The eyes of the Lord are, are there. God is looking all over the whole earth to give what strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Did you, did you ever think about the fact that God is looking for you? He's looking for people who will say no to these things that, that, that tear us away from him. And he's there to, and he's looking for you to bring support and strength into your life. If you will seek him, you will find that he is actually seeking you to support you, which is so necessary in our age of anxiety and worry and stress and fear. So, so many of us are, we let fear come in. And before we know it, the fear, that's exactly what Asa did. He, he saw Basha building up Rama and he said, look, I'm afraid for my kingdom. Let me go and make these plans with pagans. Let me go and make these compromises. And it cost him his walk. And it's, here's what he should have known. He should have known that God was actually looking to bless him and strengthen him and support him. And I want to say to you as clearly as I can, that God is looking to do the same thing with you right now, wherever you are, no matter what compromises you are currently making, you think, I can't come back to God. He's mad at me. No, he's looking actually to support you and strengthen you in him. Okay? Repent now. Seek him now. Get support now. Now, a great question is, why, again, is First Kings and First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, these two harmonious um, records of Israel's monarchy and the history of the monarchy, why are they different? For instance, in David's life, first King, uh, first and second Samuel talk a lot. Well, first Samuel, no, I'm sorry, second Samuel talks a lot about David's sin with, with Bathsheba, but Chronicles barely touches it, right? There are different aspects of Israel's history that are touched by these two different accounts, Kings and Chronicles. And I want to show you why. And it's really a matter of history. It's a matter of when these books were written. And there is an immense importance to what I'm about to share with you. See, First and Second Kings is recording the national decline as they head into, eventually, the exile into Babylon and for the northern kingdom, Syria or Assyria, 100 years earlier. And First and Second Chronicles is recounting this history as they return from exile back to the land of promise. And this is important. During the exile years, while they were 70 years in Babylon, the scribes of Israel wrote an account of how they got there in the first part of those 70 years. And those books are First and Second Kings. When they started to get the promises of God, when, when uh, King Cyrus of Persia enacted his decree, allowing the Jews to go back to the land of promise and build their temple, one of the scribes was named Ezra. He starts writing things down. And he writes it down from a spiritual perspective. And those books are First and Second Chronicles. And so First and Second Chronicles are, here's how we return to the Lord. And First and Second Kings are, here's actually how we got so far from the Lord. And I, I share this for you so that when you read the scriptures, you're more well equipped as to what is this text trying to teach us? And First and Second Kings is trying to teach us, this is what leads to... Uh, personal destruction uh, to a compromised walk, a, uh, a hurt and tragedy of spiritual living. 
And yet first and second Chronicles is this is how we get back. This is this is how we return. And maybe one day on the deep dive, we will dive into first and second Chronicles because those truths are so important as well in our lives and in our development. Okay, let's continue. And then we're going to skip a whole bunch of texts, and I hope you don't mind. But here we go with verse 25. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. Now we have returned here, okay, in the, into the northern kingdom. So Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, reigned. He started when? Sec, two years into Asa's reign in the south. And he only reigned two years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, in which he made Israel to sin. So like father, like son, right? Then in verse 27, Baasha the son of Ahijah, here's where he comes from, the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Baasha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, for Nadab and all Israel were laying siege to Gibbethon. So Baasha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Now, this is the northern kingdom story. And the northern kingdom story is very dark. It is characterized as going from bad king to bad king to bad king to bad king. And each successive generations characterized by three simple realities, okay? The first reality is wickedness. The second reality is insurrection. And the third reality is a betrayal of trust. So wickedness, insurrection, and betrayal of trust. These are, these are the marks of the nation in decline. And I say that to say this. When you look at America, when you look at the West, consider what we are. Consider what we have. Wickedness, insurrection, betrayal of trust. Insurrection is whoever's in charge, you know, we, 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 we hate them. Uh, there's back and forthness, if you will, of party affiliation and, 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 and politicking and all those kind of things. That's what we see right now in our country. Like I said, the premise for this entire study is what we are seeing today. We have seen before. Where did we see it? We saw it here in first and second Kings. Now, let me go back to this list, put this back up on the screen. These are the Kings Asa, who again reigns for 41 years in the South. But while he reigns, you've got Nadab, Basha, Ella, Zimri, Tibni, Omri, Ahab. And now I just want to zoom up, zoom up on this because this list on the right of these wicked kings to the, to the north, bad stuff, friends, like really dark times. And they are warnings for us that when we abandon God and we just follow the people of this world, it just goes from bad to worse. So I'm not going to go over every passage, and I hope that you will forgive me for that. I know it's verse-by-verse verse study of the Bible, but for the sake of getting this study one day completed, I'm going to go through some summations of what happens and show you the marks, those three marks of, of, of wickedness, of uh, betrayal, and of uh, insurrection in these kings of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. So... On the screen, the kings of the north, Nadab to Ahab. Let's talk about them. Basha, who, again, he conspires against Nadab, who is the son of Joash, uh, Jeroboam, sorry. And he reigns for 24 years. He's the son of Jeroboam, who does evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord pronounces judgment through Jehu the prophet, son of Hanani, and then he reigns again for 24 years. He dies a natural death, but eventually Elah uh, comes along and he only lasts for two years. He's the son of Asha. He does the evil of Asha and he's betrayed and killed by Zimri. All that takes place in 1 Kings 16, 8 to, 9, 8 to 10. And Zimri lasts seven days. So <laughs> just check this out. You go from 24 years to two years to seven days. It gets bad, right? 
He destroys the house of Jeroboam because God told Jeroboam, you didn't walk in the ways of David, so now the, the Lord is going to wipe you out. Zimri is actually the wicked king that God uses to wipe out Baasha. He destroys the kingdom of Jeroboam, betrays him. Uh, but he's betrayed. I mean, he doesn't betray him, he destroys him. But Zimri himself is betrayed by his own replacement in the military. Zimri was the military commander under Elah, and when he leaves to be king, Zimri, Omri is given his position in the, in the army. And guess what Omri does? Omri uh, wins uh, a battle, a, uh, an important battle. He is elevated in the eyes of the people. He takes authority over the, the people's hearts. He wins the people's hearts. And Zimri actually commits suicide because he can see that he's lost the kingdom in, the favor, of, in favor of Omri. So... Does that make sense? This is very confusing. I'm skipping a lot of passages and I hope you will bear with me here because I just, it's a lot of darkness. But the point is here that you see wickedness, you see insurrection, you see betrayal of trust. You don't have peace with, without the Lord in a kingdom. Now, let's talk, let's pick the story back up in 1 Kings 16, 25. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and he did what? He did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, began to reign over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. So guess where we get to here? We go from Omri to Ahab. And ladies and gentlemen, if you know the Bible at all, if you've been to Christianity at all, or if you haven't, let me tell you, there is no more wicked king in the Bible than this guy right here, than this, this fellow right here, Ahab. He, he is notorious. He is the son of Omri. He is the husband of one Jezebel. He will sacrifice his child to pagan gods in order to rebuild Jericho. Jericho should Hearken your mind back to Joshua. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? Jericho uh, is fallen, and Joshua says, after it is fallen, cursed is the man who rebuilds Jericho. He will do so at the cost of his firstborn son. And that's exactly what Ahab does. Ahab fulfills a warning prophecy from Joshua for 800 years earlier. <laughs> you see how hideously bad this man is. He is, he is fulfilling centuries-old prophecy of warning. And the scripture says that he is more evil than all who were before him. Let's take a look at how scripture enunciates Ahab's reign. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil inside the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, heal of Bethel built Jericho. He laid his foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and he set up his gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. This does not get any darker. And it is a warning passage. It is a warning for anyone who is not allowing Christ to be king. It is a warning for Christians to understand that people who do not follow Christ as king are not to be followed because this is eventually where it goes. 
What, what is abortion but the sacrifice of children on the altar of our future success? And that's where we are. And, and, and what else does Ahab do that's notorious here? He marries Jezebel. Jezebel is the daughter of Ethbaal. Ethbaal was not just the king of the Sidonians. Historians say that he was a prophet. He was a priest of the Sidonians. Jezebel is the daughter of a, of a pagan priest at a pagan temple. And she leads him to building an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in the capital city of Samaria in the northern kingdom of Israel. You don't get darker than it. What you have, Ahab, is the anti-Solomon. Solomon brought peace. He built a temple. He inaugurated proper sacrifices. And Ahab does exactly the opposite. He builds a pagan temple. He builds a pagan altar. He marries pagan women and he establishes pagan ritualistic worship and the sacrifice sacrifice of Israel's children on the altar in the name of national glory. Are we there as as a nation? Yeah, we're there. We're headed there. It's getting darker. As I said last night in the deep end, the devil does not even have to hide anymore. He's out front. He is flaunting his image on the screen to the adulation of millions of fans at the Grammy Awards or wherever else he is, uh, a satanic temple in, I think it's Washington state, got permission to perform ritualistic abortions in the United States as a, as a practice of their worship. <laughs> My friends, what we are seeing today, we have seen before. And the warning for all of us is patently clear. Do not walk in the ways of this world. Christian, this is no time to vacillate, to walk on the fence, to be kind of in the world and with the world. No, 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 no. This is the time to make sure that our true king, our leader, and the influences of our heart are likened unto David. And David is a picture of Christ. If they're following Christ, follow them. If they're not, ignore them. And that takes me into tap into truth. All right, so what do we take from this um, really dark chapter in Israel's history? Number one, n- terrible national leaders are nothing new. <laughs> and let me put this next image on the screen for you. <laughs> this image is a picture of the last six presidents that we've had. Some good, some poor. Please don't take the size of the president's picture in that image as my estimation of how bad or how terrible they are. I see that Trump is the biggest in this picture. It was a picture I grabbed off the internet. I didn't even put this together. So I'm just showing you, you know, you've got George W, uh, George HW, you got Bill Clinton, you got uh, George W. Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden. Terrible national leaders are nothing new. Are you disappointed with these guys? Welcome to Israel, 800 BC. I, what, what we're watching to again about all these king, kings leading and destroying the kingdom is what we forget is that there were people under them and a lot of people under them that didn't want it and worship the Lord in spite of it. And, and, I, and, I, and I only close it out by saying this here in this, in this one point is it's really not about our nation. It's about our heart. See, it's not about what, what our presidents are doing. It's about what our hearts are doing. So, let me ask you, is your king like David? In other words, who rules this? Who rules your heart? Because Christ must rule and reign in your heart, right? Peter talks about this. In your heart, set apart, set apart Christ as Lord. Sanctify the Lord as Christ, as Lord. Set, sanctify Christ, set him apart as Lord in your heart. So this is our challenge. Because when we are 
led by Jesus, when we are led by the Lord and those who love Jesus, get yourself into a gospel preaching church. Follow this channel, right? We're going to point you to Jesus. We're not going to just give you quick tips on how to improve your life. We're going to point you to Jesus. All my Bible study really is pointing people to Jesus because he is the true king. He is the true David. He is the true Solomon. He is the true leader of our lives. And some of you, I would say this, are looking for an answer to your marital problems, an answer to your financial problems, an answer to your social problems, an answer to your occupational problems, and all those things, I get it. We all have struggles. We all have issues. But if Christ is not leading us, it really doesn't matter if they get fixed or not because the fix is temporary, just like Asa. Yeah, Asa solved and fixed the diplomacy issue with Israel to the north, but eventually there was war. In fact, the last testament of Asa's life in 1 Kings chapter 15, uh, verse, yeah, verse 32 is the same as it started. Let me put this back up on the screen so you can see it. And there was war between Asia and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. This is a repeat of what, has, what was said earlier in verse 16 of the chapter. And there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. This is what they call an inclusio in the Bible. So it begins and ends and meant to draw us back to the original point where it was said before so that we can see. And that is the cycle of life if Christ is not king. If we're making compromises with the world, if we're not letting Christ lead us and we're making you know, we ask God to just fix things instead of lead our heart, change our hearts in relationship to our married, to our spouse, change our hearts in relationship to money. Because if that doesn't change, money can still be God, even if we have it or, or even if we fix the problem. Change my heart in relationship to my boss and my coworkers. Change my heart in relationship to my friends and my peers. That's, that's what we want. We need Jesus to be our righteous king. Couple of things, a couple of promises. When our righteous king is Jesus. Um, this is what he does. He obeys God completely. Number one, unlike Asa, unlike all the kings that will follow Asa, unlike Solomon, Jesus obeys God completely. He tears down our idols totally. Unlike Asa, he does not leave the high places. He tears them down. Number three, he forgives our transgressions mercifully. Number four, he brings us to God sufficiently. These kings could only do so much. And you're going to see this as we talk about the righteous reforming kings in Israel. They only go so far. They do not fully bring them back to God. And then number five, he establishes our steps continually. A couple of passages to give you some hope in Jesus. Lest you think it's all up to you. No, it's not. What, 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 what God wants from you is faith in the work of Christ for you. So a couple of passages to po point you to the, the work of Christ for you. Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That... Notice that word that, that he might sanctify her. Why did Christ give his life for you? That he might make you holy. That's what sanctified means. Cleansing you by the washing of water with the word. First Thessalonians 5, 23, one of my favorite passages. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, what? Completely. He's not going to just do a half work in your life. He's going all the way. He's going to sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Notice the absolute certainty in the, in the mouth or on the pen of Apostle Paul here. I know God is going to make you completely sanctified 
and your spirit and your soul and your body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. My salvation is not dependent on me. It is dependent on Christ. And then the last passage I want to share with you is from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. In other words, uh, those that he sanctifies and who are sanctified the, the same God who sanctifies is the same God who s- sanctified us. Like, my point is saying the God who saves us is the God who sanctifies us. And so if he saved you and your faith is in the fact that he saved you, your faith must also not be in the fact that he's going to sanctify you. And we need reminders of this because we forget this. We forget this, but God is not going to give up on us. And that's the good news of the gospel. When Jesus is king, a couple closing thoughts, we may see challenges in our closest relationship, just like Asa did with his own mother who was also his grandmother, which is gross. We, number two, we will desire freedom for our, from our sinfulness. Number three, we will give extravagantly to his purposes. That's exactly what Asa does. He gives to the temple. Why? Because he knows that God is the source of his, of his prosperity. And then number four, we will live in the peace of God. And that is exactly what Asa missed out on because he didn't follow the Lord completely. He experienced conflict. That's not what God wants for you. My question is, to end this content is the question I began this content with. Is Jesus Christ your king? Or is your king like Jesus? He will not let you down and he will strengthen you and bring peace to you and empower you for living. And that is my prayer for you. Support the channel if you want to, guys. Thanks for everything that you do for me. And tomorrow we are on with 10 Questions with Tim. So get your questions in. This is your last chance, ladies and gentlemen. Ask at timhatchlive.com. And I just want to remind you as it was a question at the last questions, 10 questions episode, they are anonymous unless you tell me who you are in the question, okay? I do not ask for your email and I do not ask for your phone number because I want you to be able to be confidently anonymous before me. I won't know who you are unless you say so. So someone in the chat, last time we did 10 questions, was like, I thought these were anonymous because I mentioned who asked the question. And the reason why I mentioned who asked the question is because the person put in the question, by the way, let this, let Tim know that this is so-and-so. So they will be anonymous unless you decide not to make them anonymous. And I will see you tomorrow, 12 noon for 10 questions with Tim. That gives me exactly what? 15, 14, 12 hours to get ready. No, 12, 13, 13 hours to get ready for it. Uh, guys, if you could do me a favor, like and subscribe and share the content on your social media channel. I'd be very appreciative. Other than that, have a great night. God bless you. In Jesus' name.